Psalm 3, if you got your Bible here tonight, if you're at home, pick up that old trusty Word of God and turn to Psalm 3. We're going to be looking at a message tonight entitled, The Lifter of My Head. Recently, the Christian Post news website published a story about a Virginia pastor, a man named Kenny Baldwin, who fell ill back in March. And here's what the article that I read reported. Pastor Kenny Baldwin of Crossroads Baptist Church in Fairfax County was preaching in North Carolina when he started feeling unwell and went to urgent care. He tested negative for the flu and strep, but his fever shot up to 105 degrees with chills and aches. Soon he felt tightness in his chest and had difficulty breathing. And when his condition got worse, he finally went to the hospital where he tested positive for COVID-19. Pastor Baldwin said that he felt like he was going to die. He, in that article, said, I was begging God, please get me through this. Crossroads Baptist, the church where he pastored, started around the clock prayer vigil for him. And the pastor was eventually given hydroxychloroquine, which you've heard about in the news. And his symptoms dissipated drastically because of that. Baldwin has since then been released from the hospital and is at home recovering. And he had this to say about his suffering. Quote, he said, I experienced God in a way like never before, and He reminded me, that His promises are true, and that His Word stands, and that He never forsakes us. I say amen to that. Pastor Baldwin's story, though, is a reminder of three truths that we can hang our hat on. Number one, God's people don't get a free pass when it comes to suffering. God's people have suffered right along with everybody else through this crisis. And then number two, While no Christian desires to suffer, it is in suffering that we find God's presence in a special way, as the pastor related. And then number three, when God's people suffer, we can bring glory to the gospel. I think Randy Alcorn makes an important point in one of his books where he's writing about suffering. He says this, quote, God uses suffering like a master artist uses a chisel to chip away at marble. We ask God to remove the chisel because it hurts. But it is a means of transformation, he says. The chisel shapes us into the image of Christ. God doesn't simply want us to feel good. He wants us to be good. And very often, the road to being good involves not feeling good. Wow. Now, David was no stranger to the fires of adversity. Twice in his life, he was a fugitive. The first time was before he was king. He ran from Saul, and then again he was a fugitive. After he was crowned king, he ran from his son Absalom. Now, the first time David was a fugitive, I think that God used it for his perfection. What I mean by that is God used it as a refining process to prepare David for wearing the crown. 
And then I believe the second time that David was a fugitive, God used it not for perfection but for correction because David was being chastened and being punished for the sin that was in his life. You'll remember that because of his affair with Bathsheba and then the cover-up that came from that, it resulted in David orchestrating the death of Uriah. The prophet Nathan stuck his bony finger in the face of David and said that part of his consequence for sin was that the sword would never depart from his house. And so when you open up the book of 2 Samuel, uh, what you see there is one calamity after another falling in David's family like dominoes. And one of the darkest days that David ever experienced was when he was forced to retreat from Jerusalem and vacate the throne because his son Absalom was out for vengeance and he was out for his father's crown. And so that's the backstory of Psalm 3. This is a psalm for adversity. Uh, this is a psalm for people going through trials and people feeling alone and uh, people feeling discouraged. Uh, the superscription of the psalm gives the occasion and our setting. Uh, you'll notice in your Bible, I'm reading from an English Standard Version, but the superscription says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Now David pins these eight verses as his world is falling apart. Uh, his name had been disgraced. His nation uh, was now divided. And even worse, his life was in danger. But yet during this crisis, we don't see David pushing the panic button. In fact, you see the opposite. He was quite at peace with his God. So in this message, we're going to study Psalm 3, of course, considering our crisis that we are in. And I hope that we can learn some truth that will lift our head and give us a little bit of strength to keep going down the road that we are on. What do we learn here tonight? Number one, the first thing we see in verses 1 and 2 is that God's people can expect trials. God's people can expect trials. As this psalm opens, we see that David notes two major problems that threatened his life. In verse 1, there was increasing foes. Notice what he says. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Now think of this, friend. All of a sudden, uh, people in the kingdom uh, started choosing sides. Uh, who were they going to support? Were they going to support David, the longtime faithful king? Or were they going to back Absalom, the upstart, who was handsome and who was charismatic and who had garnered the attention of of the people. Friends who had once supported David uh, now started retreating and forsaking him. Uh, they defected over to Absalom's camp uh, thinking that uh, he was the next man in line for the throne. And so despite all that David had done for his people, uh, defeating the Philistines and uh, capturing the city of Jerusalem and bringing the ark back home in Jerusalem, all of that seems to now be forgotten. Uh, Absalom's star was on the rise and David uh, was a forgotten relic. I think Chuck Swindoll gave a great imagination to this story 
when he wrote about David's retreat, listen to what he said here. He said, quote, See the once great David scrambling around, throwing a few things in a bag, preparing to flee from his son's wrath. Flashes of hiding in caves and ducking from Saul in the wilderness go through his mind again. As he came to the top of Mount Olivet, he paused and through tears, he looked back over that golden metropolis that he had watched God build over the years and oh, how his heart must have flooded with memories. All around him, uh, people who were still loyal were scurrying past. Beasts of burden were piled high with belongings and all David could do was let out a sigh. Increasing foes in verse 1. He says, how many are my foes? They are rising against me. That wasn't his only problem. In verse 2 we see the second part of his trial. Insulting falsehoods. Increasing foes and insulting falsehoods. Look at verse 2. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. I believe it was Mark Twain, the great American writer, who said that a lie can travel halfway around the world before the truth has got her shoes put on. And you can see the truth in that if you've ever been criticized, if uh, you've ever been stabbed in the back, if uh, friends have become enemies and started telling things about you that wasn't true. Uh, there were wagging tongues now in Jerusalem, and they were saying, uh, the prognosticators were uh, making their predictions that David's day was over, and that uh, his sun was setting, and that uh, David might as well just go ahead and throw in the towel, because uh, God had forsaken him, and there seemed to be no help for David as his family was crumbling, and as his nation was turning their back against him. You'll notice at the end of verse 2, one little word, Selah. Do you see it there? This is the first psalm to use it. And in fact, if you study the psalms, you'll notice that word Selah uh, over 70 times. Uh, the prophet Habakkuk also uses it. But uh, Hebrew scholars believe that Selah was actually a musical term. That it signaled a pause for a moment of Silence and reflection. And you can almost get the sense here that as David writes this, he's recounting his problems and the weight of them was so heavy upon his shoulders uh, that he inserted this rest as if to say, oh, as if to sigh under the burden as he meditated and reflected on how his whole world was now collapsing in front of him. And you know, as a child of God, we too are like David. We have constant foes on every side. We have at least three foes that I can think of here tonight. We have an internal foe. Uh, that's the flesh. Oh, the old flesh, it rises up daily uh, to do battle against you, to drag you back into your old sinful pattern, your old uh, worldly way of thinking. Uh, we have an internal foe that we do battle against. We have an external foe as well. It's the world. And the world bombards you with messages and with thoughts and with perspectives that are counter to God and with temptations. And friend, if you spend any time watching the news recently, you know that there's a world in panic and a world that needs hope from God. An external foe and an internal foe. And then we have an eternal foe and that's the devil. 
The devil who always stands to hurl accusations at us, who fires those fiery darts from the shadow to try and poke holes in our faith and try and wound us to distrust God and doubt God's goodness and give up in the trial so we, like David, face foes. We, like David, face falsehoods against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But one thing that I've learned from studying the Psalms and one thing that I see tonight that's useful for me is that the Word of God, child, gives you permission to unload all of your problems, all your anxieties, and all your fears. You can roll them off of your back and roll them on to the strength of our God. Hey, have you read through the Psalms recently? Notice that every time David was in trouble, when David was running, when David's back was against the wall, when he was hiding in a cave, David started praying and crying out to God. He found that the best therapy out there wasn't sitting on a psychologist's couch. Uh, He pulled out his pen and he started spilling his guts to God. And friend, God will take you just as you are, powerless and helpless and hopeless and faithless. You can come to God as you are, but friend, uh, you won't leave the same way. Uh, He'll lift up your head as He did David. And I think about uh, George Mueller. He was a great prayer warrior years ago in Bristol, England. There, ministering among the orphans and doing the great work of God. If you've never read any of the prayer writings of George Mueller, you're missing out on a blessing. But he told a story that one time he was riding in a wagon down the road. And he noticed there was a little boy walking along with a heavy sack of potatoes on his back. And Mr. Mueller pulled up in his horse-drawn cart right beside that boy. And he said, boy, why don't you get on? I'll give you a ride. Where are you going? And the boy climbed on the cart. But he noticed that as the boy got on the cart, he didn't take the heavy sack off his shoulders. He kept that sack on his shoulders. And Mr. Mueller remarked to the little boy, he said, boy, why don't you put down the load? Why don't you relax and enjoy the ride? And the little boy said, Well, I don't want to burden the horse. (laughs) And Mueller wrote in his journal about that. Here's what he said. He said, We've climbed into the cart of salvation through Jesus Christ. He bore our load of sin on Calvary and in fact is continually bearing our load right now. Why don't we just take the burden off and give it to Jesus and not pick it back up again, he said. Friend, let me ask you a question tonight. Be honest with me. What are you dealing with in this crisis? Is there a fear of death in your spirit? Do you have anxiety over whether you're going to have your job next week? Is there uncertainty over the political situation of our country? Hey, we have a hope and we have a help tonight. Scripture calls every one of us to the throne of grace. But it doesn't tell you how to get there. You can run. You can walk. You can crawl on your belly if you have to. Come in your tears. Come in your confusion. Come in your anger and your perplexity and your anguish because mercy awaits you there. And God wants to hear about your problems. God wants to help to get you through. 1 Peter 5-7 is still in the book. Cast your cares on Him for He cares for you. I'm glad that I've got a God that I can go to just like David. Uh, When I'm worried about my needs, I can go to God because He's my provider. 
He said, uh, look at the birds. Uh, they don't worry about where their next meal is going to come from. And aren't you much more than they are uh, when I'm worried about the church? I can go to my Jesus because after all, it's His church. It, it was here before Derek McCarson came. And it'll be here after Derek McCarson leaves. And I just have to be reminded sometimes that Jesus is walking among the lampstands. And He's greater than even one preacher. Uh, when I'm worried about my kids, and I don't know how uh, good I'm being as a parent, or, or what I'm doing to help them, I can go to my God, and my God reminds me, hey, I know a thing or two about dealing with hearts. I know a thing or two about dealing with prodigal sons. Uh, when I'm worried about my health, I can go to my God and I can talk to Him about it because He is still today the great physician who makes a house call, who isn't uh, dealing with a quarantine situation. Uh, when I'm fighting Satan and I feel His pressure upon me, I can run to God. I can resist the devil. And I've seen God send Him away off of my back. So you can see, number one, God's people can... And we'll expect trials. That's what David was dealing with. Foes and falsehoods. And then I want you to see number two. Not only can God's people expect trials, but notice this. God's people can express trust. God's people can express trust even in the conflict. A David found confidence in the Lord. And he expressed it in three ways. Number one is this, we remember God's protection. We remember God's protection. Look what he says here. He said, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You ever thought about a shield? Uh, we don't carry that kind of armament around today. But a shield speaks of protection. A shield speaks of fending off the fiery darts of an enemy. And what I believe was going on here with David is that he recalled moments from his past when he was in perilous times and he couldn't go to somebody else for help, but that God was there and that God had been his shield more than once. Uh, when he was a shepherd boy uh, looking over the sheep of his father, uh, fending off those lions and those bears, it was God who was there on the hillside helping him watch. Uh, when Goliath, I spit out threats against God's people. When Goliath said, I'll squash you between my toes, it was God who was his shield. And it was God who guided the little stone through the air to hit the giant's head. Oh, when Saul had David trapped in a cave, it was God who shielded him from the enemy. So friend, what does this psalm do? It invites us to take a trip down memory lane. And think about how many times has God spared your life? How many times has God been your shield and your protector and your buckler? I think about it when I was 23 years old. It was a Wednesday night. It was a spring day just like this. I was riding my little Honda Accord going to a church meeting. Uh, just a young man wanting to serve God. Hadn't really coalesced in my commitment yet. Still kind of wavering. God, do you want me to be a preacher? And as I was headed out, uh, the roads were slick and a big Dodge truck was coming down the highway. He crossed over the yellow median and I kept thinking as he was coming my way, surely he sees me over here 
And friend, he didn't. He sideswiped my little car. And I still to this day, I think about it. I don't know how, except but God was in the car with me. I came out of that car wreck with not a single scratch on me. Why? Because God was my shield. The last time I was in Honduras uh, on a mission trip, Brother Doug Bailey was there with me. And we were coming up that long Pan American Highway up the mountain to Tegucigalpa to get on a plane and come home. Before we got to where we needed to be there in the city, we got pulled over by the National Police in Honduras. And I'm talking about these guys were a serious business. They had uh, automatic rifles. They pulled us out of that truck and they opened up our suitcases and they searched us. And brother, I'm telling you, we were sweating bullets on the side of that road Wondering, are these guys going to drag us into prison? Uh, uh, They could just say the word and we would have been in a really hard spot. But friend, God was my shield in that situation. I think about my little baby girl, Lydia. Oh, when she was born, it was a day of joy. But it was also a day of fear because as they scanned her little heart, they said, "Uh, there's a hole in her heart. And they started telling us about all the things that could go wrong all the concerns that were weighing heavy upon us. But I'm glad today to tell you that God is our shield. Last time she went to the doctor, they looked at her little heart and said, "Uh, that heart is closing up Well, because God is uh, looking out for His people. And I think that the point that David is trying to make is quite simple to us. God had been faithful to protect His life so far. And God wasn't done with him yet. And so he had every confidence that God was going to continue to protect him. I think about another David, David Livingston, the great pioneer missionary who took off into Africa, into those uncharted territories uh, to reach people for Christ. He fell sick many times. He was attacked uh, by wild uh, indigenous people. Uh, He was all the time in peril and in danger. And somebody asked him, uh, David Livingston, uh, how do you find the courage to do it? And he said, I am immortal until the will of God is accomplished for my life. In other words, what he was saying was, my God is a shield around me. So God's people can express trust. We do that by remembering God's protection. And then notice this, we renew in God's power. We renew in God's power. Look at what verse 3 and 4 says. He says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and here it is, and the lifter up of my head. And I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hill. Can you picture David uh, trudging along that old dusty road as he's making his way out of Jerusalem? You see it in your mind? A tears are streaming down his face over the wreckage that he's caused in his life. He thinks about that illicit temptation, uh, that one night with Bathsheba, uh, his dead baby boy. He thinks about the conviction of Uriah. He sees how his family is torn apart and he's crying. Uh, there's a great knot in his stomach. And maybe as he began to go down that road, he started to cry out to God just like he had done so many times as a shepherd boy. Uh, maybe he decided to start uh, reciting some of the lyrics that he had 
written long ago, but maybe had forgotten about. The Lord is my shepherd. I I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me uh, to lie beside the still waters, and He restores my soul. And I think it isn't long before David, as he's walking down the road, and he begins to recite those uh, memories, and he feels the warm presence of the Lord in his life once again. Oh, the sweet Holy Spirit hadn't departed from him. Uh, His worry uh, now became worship. Uh, His doubt were turned into shouts. Uh, His test now became a place for a testimony. And I think the gentle hand of God came down and cut David's chin and lifted his head and whispered to him, Hey David, uh, you may not be sitting on the throne, but let me remind you, I'm still on my throne, David. I've still got it under control. Uh, David, I I, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I I called you. I anointed you when you were just a ruddy little shepherd boy. Uh, You're the man after my own heart. Uh, Didn't I tell you that I've never forsaken my people? And didn't I tell you that my people would never be begging bread? Uh, David, lift up your head and remember whose you are. He was renewed in God's power. I think about... Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he experienced what David did. God lifted this man's head in a desolate place. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a Christian and a political prisoner in communist Russia for many years. And he later wrote uh, several books and he's a great encouragement to people going through hard times. Alexander was forced to work 12 hours a day in a hard labor camp. All they fed him was a a stale, maggoty bread. His body became racked with disease, and doctors in the camp predicted that he would die at any moment from malnutrition. One afternoon, he said in that labor camp, he was so weakened, uh, he was so gloomy and discouraged, uh, that he thought, I can't go on any longer. And so he sat down. He knew that if the guard saw him resting, that the guard was going to come and beat the life out of him. But he just couldn't find the strength to get up out of the dirt anymore. And he said at that precise moment, there was a fellow prisoner who saw him across the yard. This old man on a cane who was just as decrepit as Alexander was, approached him, didn't say a word, just walked over to where Alexander was, took his cane and put it in the sand. And there he drew a cross in the dirt. That's all he did is he drew a cross in the dirt. And here's what Alexander Solzhenitsyn said about that. He said, in the midst of despair, when I saw that emblem of hope where Christ won the victory over sin and suffering, it gave me the courage that I needed. It lifted my head to endure grueling moments of imprisonment that lay before me. A child of God, are you discouraged tonight? Hey, let God lift your head tonight. Uh, Lift your head, child of God, because the shame of the past is gone. Uh, Lift your head, child of God, because He's not going to quit before you do. Lift your head up, child of God, because He'll be sure to turn the tables on the enemies and the critics and the skeptics. Uh, Lift your head up, child of God, Because He's never lost a battle. Uh, Lift your head up, child, uh, because the tomb is empty and the sting of death is taken away. 
uh, lift your head up, child of God, because there's still a God of grace who pour it out on you uh, when you saucer is full and you say, I can't take any more blessings, God. He'll just keep pouring on grace upon grace. Hey, lift your head up, child of God, tonight because God is your Father. Jesus is your Redeemer. The Holy Spirit is your Helper. And praise God, heaven is your home. So you see here tonight, we can remember God's protection. and We can renew in God's power. And then look at this. We can rest in God's peace. Oh, this is so good. We can rest in God's peace. Verse 5. I lay down and slept. Oh, wait a second, David. I thought they were after you. Look at what he said. I lay down and slept. Wait a second. I thought they wanted to kill you, David. Hmm. I woke again. For the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. David's great declaration of faith, get this church, was getting a good night's rest. David wasn't pacing the floor wondering where Absalom was. He said, my confidence is in God. My God who never sleeps and never slumbers. I think about this church. Uh, Daniel slept in a lion's den. Uh, Jesus dozed in the bow of a storm-tossed boat. Uh, Peter was there sawing logs in prison when he was to be executed the very next day. I'm thankful for a God who says, you go to sleep, I've got the night shift. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the Christian rests his head at night. Uh, you can get a good night's rest, child of God. You can be renewed in the peace of God because while you're sleeping, uh, He keeps the world turning and He takes care of the enemy and He keeps the blessings flowing your way and He touches your body and He renews your mind. You rest in the peace of God. Pastor Roy Zook told this great story about a woman who lived in England during World War II. During those days when the Germans were doing a blitz bombing of the country, many people were forced to stay each night in underground bunkers. But one Christian lady decided she was going to stay home and sleep through the chaos. Well, the next morning she arose and she found that her neighborhood was devastated. There was impact craters all over the place. There was crumbling buildings. And yet her house was unscathed. Newspaper reporter came and found this old lady and she, he said to her, what do you think about this, this war and this conflict and here you are not staying in the underground bunker and here's what she told the reporter. She said, my God neither sleeps nor slumbers so there's no need for both of us to stay awake. Amen, sister. That'll preach. Listen, peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is the presence of of Jesus in the midst of the situation. And if He doesn't calm the storm, hey, He'll calm the storm in me. There's three keys to peace. Fret not, faint not, and fear not. Fret not because God provides for you. Faint not because God strengthens you on the wings of eagles, Isaiah 40 says. And fear not because God loves you. And perfect love always casts out 
fear. We can rest in God's peace. So God's people, notice this, can expect trials. We know that. God's people can express trust. And then finally I finish with this. God's people can experience triumph. God's people can experience triumph. Verse 7 and 8 and I'm done. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Watch this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Oh my goodness, child of God. When David awoke with the morning, he decided, I'll get this day started off the right way. I'm going to worship. And notice how this psalm began. It started with David rehearsing his problems, but now it ends with his declaration of praise. And so David has gone through a journey over these eight verses from defeat now to deliverance. You see, David says, my faith isn't in my army. Uh, My faith isn't in my military prowess. That's not how I'm going to defeat Absalom. That's not how I'm going to be delivered from this. My hope is in the salvation of my God who will fight the battle for me. Now keep in mind, friend, that David wasn't free and clear just yet. He was still in the thick of it. But he was praising God like he was already through the conflict. And that's bold faith, isn't it? Trusting God for the victory when you are in a position of vulnerability and weakness. And it's the victory that makes the headline, yes. But with every victory, there's a footnote, and that footnote is called faith. And that's how David began to conquer and experience triumph. And what's so interesting is that hundreds of years later, there was another man who was in the slows of despondency. There was another man running. His name was Jonah. And what's so interesting about this psalm is Jonah actually quotes verse 8, salvation is of the Lord, while he's floating around in the belly of that great fish. You can look it up in Jonah 2 and verse 9. And I began to think about that. What was Jonah doing quoting David's psalm here? Chapter 3, verse 8. Here's what I realized. Jonah and David had something in common. At some point in their lives, both of them were fugitives. David was running for his life and Jonah was running from his Lord. And yet, here it is, despite their sin, God delivered them from the messes that they had created and still used them mightily for His glory. In other words, it's a second chance God and God redeployed both of these men. I'm grateful for a God like that who graciously rescues His people when we don't deserve it. Only God can take bad and turn it into good. Only God can take evil and flip it around and use it for our salvation. Friend, I want you to know here tonight, that's exactly what God is doing through all this crisis. That's what He's doing right now in this pandemic. God is using this terrible thing for the purpose of saving sinners you say how you know that well because I know how human nature is most people would not normally turn to Christ in good times but right now because the world is being shaken it's got some people woke up to the fact that there's a God in heaven 
who's there and who wants to save them. We've all heard about what the coronavirus epidemic has done in Italy. 160,000 infected and 20,000 deaths. But there's a doctor in Italy. His name is Dr. Julian Urban. He shared his testimony on Facebook. I want you to listen to this. Dr. Urban wrote about the pandemic saying this. He said, Never in my darkest nightmares did I imagine that I would see and experience what's been going on in Italy in our hospital in the past three weeks. He said, The nightmare just keeps going on. But he continued. He said, Until a few weeks ago, me and my colleagues were atheists. It was normal because we were doctors and trained to be that way. We learned that science excludes God. But he said the COVID-19 outbreak has changed all that. He said a few days ago a 75-year-old pastor was admitted into our hospital. He was a kind man. He had serious breathing problems. And he came with a Bible tucked under his arm. He impressed us by how he read his Bible to the dying on his right and to his left. We doctors were all tired and discouraged and psychologically and physically exhausted. He said, but when we had the time, we would go and visit this dear preacher, this dear pastor, and we would listen to him. And his gentle witness, according to this once atheist doctor said, his witness showed us that we needed God. Though we were once fierce atheists, we are now daily in search of peace, asking the Lord to help us continue so that we might take care of the sick. Friend, you won't hear that on ABC News, Fox News, CNN, NBC, or any media outlet, but I'm telling you, if God is saving people through this, then God gets the glory through all of it. Here's what happened. That pastor succumbed to the virus but not before leading Dr. Urban to faith in Christ. He said this, That pastor brought us peace only from God that we didn't know was possible. He said, I am happy to have turned back to God even while I am surrounded by suffering and death. Trials, they come. Trust, that's how we get through. And triumph is there at the hand of God. If you don't know Christ tonight, I pray that you would receive Him. I pray that you would turn to Him as your only hope and your Savior. If you'd like to turn to Christ, I'd like to lead you in a prayer right now. Wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, you can pray this prayer after me. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. God, I pray that you would save me. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the grave. I pray, God, that you would come into my life, that you'd cleanse me of my sin. I pray, God, that you'd give me the peace that you promised. Lord, I want to live for you. Help me to repent of my sin, O oh God, to turn away from sin and to turn to Jesus Christ. Save me, O oh God. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd like to hear about it. We'd like to know of your decision that you've made. You can send me an email at dm4truth at gmail.com. I'd love to encourage you. You can leave us a note there in the presentation, there in the comments section. I hope that you were encouraged by this.
And Liberty folks, we're praying for you. We love you. And we're looking forward to seeing you again on Sunday at 11 o'clock for another time of message and music. Thank you.